0: Before we get into the show, here's a quick reminder from MedEvolve, a company that empowers physician practices to work smarter with data driven services. Are you tired of dealing with headaches like finding and retaining quality billing staff, high turnover, and limited resources? Many practices are opting to outsource all or part of their billing process to relieve the burden on internal staff, free up resources, and reduce overhead costs. For those of you who wish to keep billing in house, It's critical to have solutions that provide automation and give you the ability to monitor staff productivity and effectiveness, especially for remote employees. MedEvolve can help you leverage data and artificial intelligence solutions that bring answers to the forefront and take the guesswork out of revenue cycle management. Let them show you how. To have this great company help you work smarter, reduce your cost to collect, and get paid on time, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com. Slash Med Evolve. Again, doctorpodcastnetwork.com slash Med Evolve. That's M E D E V O L V E. The link is also in the description of this show. Welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. And we're going to spend more than a few minutes talking about some of the headlines in the news. We're joined today by our general counsel, Mike Sakopoulos. Welcome, Mike.
1: Hey, thank you very much. Happy to be with you.
0: Here's one that caught my attention, and it goes by the headline: When Hannibal Lecter is your patient. When <laughs> Hannibal Lecter is your patient. So what happened? All right, I'm just going to read it here, and it's kind of dry, but you'll just have to stick with me on this. All right, so a determined criminal was caught in a robbery by the police, fled on foot. He jumped out of a two-story building and shattered his leg, kind of like John Wilkes Booth, wasn't
1: it? Right onto the stage of the Forest Theater, yeah.
0: Very good. So a police dog uh, caught him, and the criminal stabbed the dog to death. So this guy was hell-bent on escaping. Um, But ultimately, the defendant, in this case, well, it became a patient, was taken to the hospital. And a few weeks later, he was going to be released from the hospital and taken to jail. So it was on the final stages of being hospitalized and, you know, getting ready to go to jail. The guard who was on duty was taking a break and a second, um, let's see, there was a second officer who in this case became a plaintiff down the road, took over the supervision of the inmate. Now, this patient was not handcuffed, was not secured, and uh, the guard was seated just a few feet away from, uh, from, uh, from the patient. Apparently, the, um, the patient attacked the guard using a, and again, I'm reading this directly from the complaint, using a fashioned small knife, from surgical scissors wrapped in a bandage. So let's, this was a weapon that the patient put together, small scissors left in the room and uh, wrapped in a bandage. He stabbed the guard 25 times, stabbed the guard 25 times, also broke her jaw in two places. She also suffered a crushed thumb, bite wounds to her hand, and ultimately had a laundry list of complaints, including headaches, depression, and anxiety. The guard needed surgery, her jaws were wired shut for many months and she remained off work for a year. Um, Other officers came to the hospital room and the patient was overpowered. He was later convicted and is now serving a life life sentence in prison. So this is someone who had very little, at least now he has very little to lose. So what were the allegations? The guard alleged the hospital was negligent in failing to secure the surgical instruments and permitted the patient, in this case, the prisoner, to gain access uh, to them. Um, This is already just amazing. This ultimately turned into a lawsuit and the court found the hospital at fault for leaving scissors in the room and allowing the patient, in this case, the prisoner, access to them. Um, also found the, uh, the guard at fault, uh, um, assessing 50, 50% uh, fault to the, to the criminal, 40% fault to the hospital, and the remaining 10% to the, uh, to the prisoner. So let's go over this again. There were three parties that were assessed as being at fault. Uh, 50% uh, of the fault went to the, uh, to the criminal, the, the one that was acting like Hannibal kind of Lecter, fall to the hospital that left the scissors available to the patient prisoner, and the remaining 10% to the guard, I guess, alleging the guard didn't do her job uh, properly. So what was the total amount here? Um, The judge awarded the plaintiff $1.134 million, $1.134 million, and this took place in Louisiana. Mike, what do you think?
1: It's hard to know where to begin, right, um, w- with this. The first thing that I think should shock us all is that the, um, that the prisoner is 50% liable and the hospital's 40%. Seems um, maybe that's not the best of allocation of percentages. But hey, look, that's what they, that's what they did. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't present. Uh, certainly, the scissors um, converted into some kind of a shank uh, caused tremendous damage to this uh, this uh, female uh, guard and we've had lots of lots of problems this is clearly a extraordinarily dangerous uh, person and anybody who's seen canine units to think that this person could take out what most likely was a german shepherd with a penknife is um, is is not somebody you want to to tangle with okay what all do we need to know uh, from this? Well, unfortunately, some of uh, the folks that we have in our audience will be called in to hospital settings uh, to care for people that are in police custody. Um, let's start...
0: Or even just dangerous, or even someone who has a history of violence, and you know they are violent.
1: That's right. So at all all costs, pr- protect, your, protect yourself and assume that Someone can at any any moment become incredibly uh, I- incredibly d- dangerous. Um, <clears throat> this is clearly a situation where the the patient should have been uh, shackled and and was and was not.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that in terms of restraints because there's always a fine line between too much and too little in the way of restraints. I mean, I've certainly seen it where someone is so restrained against their will, they aspirate to get a pneumonia and die. But I'll also see the flip side being uh, true where the patient has no restraints on, pulls out an endotracheal tube and uh, asphyxiates uh, to death. So, I mean, there's always a fine line between knowing how much restraint to use. And there's certainly a number of rules related to what you're even allowed to do in terms of holding a patient against their their will. Now, in this particular case, the patient was a prisoner. So a prisoner, by definition, has given up a number of rights. Um, so you, the, the threshold for restraining a prisoner is probably lower than restraining someone who may just be inebriated. But still, you, you need to do whatever you can to prevent the patient from being a danger to themselves or to another person.
1: Well, let's talk for a moment about the prisoner patient's Uh, medical records because once they're in custody and clearly this person was in in police custody uh, the their their records or access to their chart uh, defaults over to to law enforcement so certainly law enforcement could have access to the patient care and their in their chart while that patient is in uh, police custody that may have provided an insight although here clearly the The background is such that everyone should have known that this person is incredibly uh, dangerous, Um, but sometimes a review of the chart will provide some insight that you might not otherwise have had.
0: I do have one question, um, because this turned into a civil lawsuit. I'm just, and the person who was filing the lawsuit was a guard. It's someone who worked for the police department, and arguably this event took place in the course of duty. One wonders, why is this not a worker's compensation case? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little too jaundiced in terms of my conclusion here. Um, and you know, there's always a fine line between alleging negligence against a third party and something in the line of duty. But being a guard is certainly a dangerous job. And getting beaten up by a prisoner might be something that would happen in the course of one's duty.
1: My guess is that there was a separate action um, for work comp uh, benefits uh, because the exclusive remedy for the employee uh, against the employer would be through the work compensation statute. What happened here is that we have people that are not the employer, the hospital Mm. uh, and and the inmate. And so there is no such exclusive remedy that so... The answer is you can bring both. If you're the injured employee, you can bring an action against your employer for work compensation benefits for being injured while on on the job. And then you can also uh, bring an action against a third party that was uh, related to your your injuries. Oftentimes we see this where someone is injured while working, let's say, with a defective piece of equipment. They're on the job site. The piece of equipment is defective. They'll have a work comp case against their employer, but they'll also have a product liability case against the manufacturer of the piece of equipment. It's a um, a, a two shots on goal.
0: This may be a stupid question, but since the prisoner is 50% financially responsible for making the guard whole, um, and since the prisoner is in custody of, I'll assume the state system, the state prison system, is the prison system responsible for writing that 50% check to the guard?
1: They, they are not. The individual would be, um, be responsible. And all odds are that the individual has no amount of money to, to pay off. And so it will just go uncollected would be if I had to guess what would what would happen. Now, you never know. I mean, maybe this individual had um, access to certain kinds of money or inherit some money or something like that. I mean, there are some outside chances, but the majority of the time, the vast, vast majority of the time, uh, something of this magnitude uh, would just go uncollectible.
0: So they um, they attributed 50 percent liability to the prisoner here and every state treats apportioned liability differently. In some states, for example, if the defendant is 1% liable, and actually North Carolina is one of those examples, it's called contributory negligence, which means that the person who's filing the lawsuit, in this case, well, person's filing the lawsuit would collect nothing. And so um, in this particular case, the guard was found to be 10% negligent. The guard was found to be 10% negligent. And if they were working in a state with contributory negligence, um, they might collect nothing. You would think, well, I should be able to collect my 90%. I'm all responsible. 10% should be able to collect my 90%. But every state treats is differently. The majority of states are not contributory negligent states. Um, a lot of states do look at the math and they say, well, if if you're only 10% uh, uh, negligent, then uh, then uh, you you keep the 90%. So every state treats the math differently in terms of how this plays out. I Thank, think when you're talking about numbers like this, it, it's cold comfort. It doesn't really make much difference if you're the one writing the check, but um, but it does make a difference.
1: I think that, that that's right. In, in most states that um, compare people's uh, fault, you're still at a certain level, usually 51% if the, if the plaintiff or the person bringing the lawsuit is more than 50% at fault, then their recovery is totally blocked. Um, every state can play the rules a little bit differently, but that's, a, that's another typical method that's used by many states.
0: I mean, it also reminds you what a tough job being a prison guard um, can be. You know, it's interesting. The guard was female. And uh, the prisoner just completely overpowered her. Prisoner was not um, restrained. You just wonder, I mean, this is like a perfect storm in terms of so many things going badly. And I can't believe the prisoner thought that he would get away with this. Um, It just seems odd that you'd be able to break out of the hospital. It's the type of thing you'd expect to see in a movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to have access to sharp medical instruments, um, I'm sure only makes things worse. This wasn't somebody trying to um, take a a piece of metal and, and fashion it into a blade. Here we had a surgically honed instrument to use to stab this poor woman with.
0: You can only imagine the number of potential weapons that are available in a hospital room or hospital ward that can create problems. I don't know how you eliminate all of this. The simplest thing to do would just be to restrain the patient. I think that was the real problem, and I think I'm actually a little surprised that the, uh, the guard was not held to be more liable for not taking pains to restrain the patient, even though it probably, it seems like it was shift change, but, uh, but certainly one of the guards should seem to it that the, uh, the patient was properly restrained.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So, and these appear to be serious, potentially life-altering injuries that the guard received.
0: Seems like we've gone through um, the pendulum change in terms of restraint. I know at one point it wasn't so much of a problem to restrain a patient you perceive to be dangerous, but the rules became a lot more challenging over time. That you you really you want to be careful about imposing too much restraint on a patient. It's and I'm not talking about this particular case where the patient is a prisoner, but just someone who's who may be a little bit combative um, in the room and you're worried about them leaving, for example, you're worried about them just getting up in the middle of the night and leaving. And I know that if a patient, if you are aware that the patient is at risk for leaving the hospital and they do leave the hospital um, and they get hit by a car, for example, he can and will be held liable for that. So it's a fine line between implementing too little and too much restraint. I know if you, implement too much restraint. There are there are um, various federal rules that suggest that you've overstepped and you could be held uh, accountable for um, for imprisoning someone against their will. Can you comment on that a little bit?
1: Sure. You're right. It, it is a balancing act. And I think that it is often unfortunate that the position gets placed in that uh, area. Look, most Hospitals, if not all, have risk management officers, and that would be my my first call if I was attending to one of these, uh, these patients, is to determine what are our policies and how are we going to keep not only myself, but Put the rest of the staff safe when we have a patient like this, and there should be policies and procedures that are available and are known. And the risk management um, officer for the the facility for the uh, hospital uh, would be the place that I would turn to say, "What are we going to do? What are our policies? Let's follow them uh, because those have been thought through and and worked out. And the last thing we want to do is to try to." Uh, reinvent the wheel and turn out with a wheel that doesn't match what our policies are and then have problems. So
0: let me illustrate with a real world example. We got a call within the past year. Um, It was a cosmetic um, surgery practice, a plastic surgeons practice. It was um, a mom and pop operation, solo practitioner. So it was really just a pop operation. And um, he had an attached surgery center. Um, where he's performing a procedure. And this is a patient who had several procedures in the past and knew the drill that if you're going to drive uh, yourself there, you need to make sure someone is going to drive your car home or or give you a ride home or call an Uber or something. Whatever it is, you are not supposed to drive home because you're under the influence of general anesthesia and you're considered to be a risk to yourself and to other people. But she knew this in the past. Uh, she'd had two prior procedures there, understood that You've got to name your, who your driver is going to be, and that person should be waiting for you in the waiting room to take you home once you're cleared from the uh, PACU. So what happened? Shows up beginning of the day, and they asked her the question in the chart, Are you? Um, do you have a ride home? The answer was yes. Who is your ride? And I think they, they put in the name of someone. But it turns out she'd actually driven her car to the, um, the surgery center. So her car was sitting in the parking lot had a four-hour procedure and then um, is recovering in the, in the recovery room and then wakes up very quickly and says, I am out of here. And they're saying, no, 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 you, um, you told us you um, have a um, ride. We have to wait for your ride. He says, no, no, my car is out in the parking lot. Uh, my keys are my purse. I am out of here. And um, they said, no, no, don't, don't do that. We'll call you an Uber says no i'm driving my car i don't want to leave my car in your park it's like dealing with someone who's drunk leaving a bar you know trying to take Mm. their keys and um the doctor said he would drive her home but she just got up and left there you know just wouldn't do it they asked they asked her to sign out against medical medical advice at that point she wouldn't sign that but i don't know what the benefit of signing out against uh, medical advice would even be so what happened to her she um she ends up driving uh, home and goes off the road and hits a tree. And she calls the doctor after having hit the tree to say, what should I do now? And he says, well, you you need to go to the hospital. She didn't. She was able to get to her house. But she ended up suing the doctor for making sure for not making sure that she was safe afterwards. So the question would be, well, what is the doctor supposed to do? Is the doctor supposed to handcuff her to the uh, to the rails and not give her access to her keys um, or call the police or just sign her out against medical advice. I, I'll tell you how the, this ended up okay for the doctor, but um, it was quite a headache until it was resolved. I think his paper trail was quite helpful because he had established that the patient had a track record in the past of knowing what the drill was, knowing that she needed to have an accountable driver take her home. The doctor taking great pains to give her an alternative, namely to call an Uber to drive the patient home himself. Reasonably tried to restrain her without overpowering her and tie, you know, tie the patient up to a bed. Um, I think the only thing that I probably would have done differently, or at, in addition, would have been to just call the police once the patient left. Just say, look, I'm concerned about someone. hasn't fully recovered from the effects of adrenal anesthesia. She just left. Here's her license plate. I'm worried about her. I'm worried about other people. I think that would be one additional thing the practice could have done. And I don't know, the whole thing happened so quickly, nobody thinks about it. But now that we're having, now that we have the luxury of time to have this conversation, you know, people should put this in the back of their mind that often there is more than one choice on how to manage a particular problem. You can have three, four, and five different choices, but if you know about it in advance and someone leaves and you believe they're a danger, you can always call the police to assist.
1: That's right. Um, and I think that that is a reasonable uh, su- suggestion. But ultimately, you're right. We, you can't tackle the patient out on the, the, the parking lot and wrestle the keys away. Um, this is an exercise in documenting as best you can, and hopefully the records will show that the question was asked before the surgery who the driver was or that, that the patient indicated that they had a driver and that transportation following the procedure had been arranged or something to that effect. Um, that, that's helpful. You want to roll it back as far as you can and show that that was an issue the patient knew and that it was discussed, and if the patient goes off script or has intentionally deceived you, Uh, you want to be able to make that case through the documentation. it sounded like this practice was able to do that.
0: Yeah, the records looked pretty good. The lawyer had filed the lawsuit before actually getting a look at the records. The records, I think, exonerated the doctor. It would have been nice had the records been reviewed. But, you know, on first blush, patient says, the doctor let me leave while I was still under the effect of anesthesia, and they ended up hitting a tree. That's a fairly sexy case, Um, and you can well imagine if this patient had truly been injured, uh, it may not have had the same legal outcome uh, that it had.
1: Uh, That's exactly right.
0: Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MedEvolve. For those of us who know how hard it is to build and maintain a sustainable business, we understand that bringing the right help to achieve our goals is important. Get in touch with them for data-driven analytics workflow automation, and medical billing technology and services. Go to doctorpodcastnetworkcom slash medevolve. Again, doctorpodcastnetworkcom slash medevolve and get going on the right path. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at one 877 med That's one 877 med or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of Medical Justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's IN Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups, and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.